Good morning, everyone. Uh, it is, well, it's either morning or it's the middle of the night. I think it's somewhere in between. It's just after four in the morning. Uh, I had one of those nights where I woke up and, uh, you know, was awake at like three, I believe, which is very, very early for me. Kind of laid there for a while and, you know, you lay there and you kind of think, should I just give up and, and just wake up and do my thing? make my coffee and go, or should I try to get back to sleep? Uh, today I gave up. Coffee is made, and I am I am committing to not falling back asleep. Well, as I noted last time, apparently there are some people, it looks to me like there are people I don't know personally who might be listening to this. So, uh, uh, fair warning, I think I'll introduce myself a little bit. I'm Jim. This is a podcast that I just started doing in the middle of this pandemic. I don't have professional audio equipment. I don't typically plan anything. I just sort of turn on the recorder and go. So it's very stream of consciousness. I'm just kind of shooting off the cuff. Uh, I would encourage you not to expect much from this. So with that said, with the expectations properly elaborated. Uh, let me, let me dive into it. What do I want to chat about this morning? Um, yeah, so I think I woke up, I, I, sometimes I wake up early without any, any explanation. I know why I woke up this morning. I, I, uh, I did my exercise routine. Which I, I try to do a, maybe half an hour to an hour of hit, uh, on YouTube every night. I'll stagger the days when I do like a uh, an abs and a, an upper body workout, but uh, I do that l later in the evening. Anyway, uh, after that last night, I felt compelled to go into the cupboard, bring down a jar of peanut butter, and just start eating spoonfuls of it out of the jar. And for the record, I live alone. Uh, so, yeah, I, I will often eat things just out of the container. This is one of those uh, things. If you're like a bachelor, you don't live with anyone, and you don't like, I'm, I'm, it's the pandemic, so I'm not like having people over to entertain them. Uh, you can just kind of be an animal. It's not like, <laughs> like maybe I should like toast some bread to put the peanut butter on. No, no, you could just, you could just spoon it right out of the thing into your mouth. It's fine. Um, <laughs> but yeah, if I eat, if I eat uh, a bunch of stuff, if I consume a bunch of calories really close to bedtime, like nine or 10 at night, uh, typically I won't sleep through the whole night. Like I'll wake up very, very early. It's a, it's a, it's a disruption to my sleep state. So I did that last night. One of those things like I was like, I knew, I know I shouldn't be doing this while I'm doing it. But I'm going to do it anyway. I just don't care. Yeah, yesterday was kind of stressful. There was a job. I mentioned this last time. It was a job that I was, uh, I had gone through all the interview rounds and I was really hoping for it. And I got the rejection from them yesterday, which was, to say the least, a little bit disheartening. But I do have to give them... I do have to give them all kinds of credit because I've gotten like one other rejection so far. And 
I've gotten rejections from, you know, tech jobs in the past. And typically what you do is you just get an email. It says, you know, hey, thanks for taking the time. We, you know, enjoyed speaking with you, but we've decided not to move forward. Thanks. And typically that's that's not even an email from a human being. That's just a, an email that was generated by a system. Like somebody went and filled out a form, like checked a little thing and said like, reject. And then they click a button and there's this auto email with a stock, you know, line in it that you get in your inbox. Uh, the company I was interviewing with, this, this is just how solid they are. And they definitely seem like a solid place, which is, why I was interested in them, but they actually had a recruiter call me, give me the news over the phone, and they gave me a couple of reasons why. I said, we, we don't think you're a good fit, and here's precisely why. And yeah, I honestly really, really appreciate that, because usually you don't get any feedback. Usually you just, you end up with like a bunch of rejections, and you're like, what am I doing wrong? Which, of course, it's not that you're doing anything wrong necessarily. It's just that, you know, somebody says, we don't think you'd be a good fit here. And I've really started to trust people's judgment. I don't take job rejections that hard anymore. I don't, I don't take them personally, at the very least. Um, it's kind of like if you go on a date and somebody says, no, I don't want, I don't want to see you again. Uh, that's great. I'd like to know that as soon as possible. And if you're not interested in me, I don't want this to go any further. You know, I'd like this to be a mutually beneficial arrangement, if you will. Uh, that, that being said, it did feel like the reasons themselves were kind of splitting hairs. I won't go into that, but um, yeah. Just, I guess the feedback was frustrating, not because it was, not because it precluded me from getting the job, but just because I don't know what to make of it. Like, I don't quite know what I can take and change in the future, or what I would change in the future. Maybe there's nothing to be changed. Maybe that's the point. Maybe it was just a bad fit. Anyway, I do wonder how my personality comes off when I'm in those job interviews. I mean, I'm clearly nervous. Well, I don't know if I'm clearly nervous, but typically yeah, there's a little bit of anxiousness on my part. I think that's always the case. I don't think that... Well, I, here's what I wonder. I wonder how well I represent myself when I'm talking to other people. As I was making my coffee this morning, I was thinking about it, and I kind of realized, how should I put this? Okay, so I remember in high school coming to a point when I, I recognized how other people perceived me. I was like, there's the way that I think that I am. There's the way that I come across to others. There's the way that I think other people think that I behave. And then there's the way other people really, really think that I, I how they really perceive me. Like, so there are four different things. And I think when you're really young, you just sort of assume those are all the same. 
and they kind of split as you get older. You sort of recognize, oh wait, there's, there's differences here. I'm not really who I think I am to others. It's very, very hard to express that. But as soon as it dawned on me, like, oh, I, I, I really have a sense now of who it, like how I think others are perceiving me, genuinely. It's not the way I think they're perceiving me, it's the way they really are. Immediately, I kind of felt pinned down. I was like, well, now people know me. Now people know who I am. So I was like, well, I don't want to be obvious, so I'm going to start being something. I'm going to act outwardly differently than I am because I don't want to be predictable. I don't want to be boring, old, predictable Jim. Like, oh, that's just who he is, you know. People figure you out, nail you down, and they just assume you're going to be that way forever. I'm kind of afraid of that. I always have been. But the thing is, the world I now occupy, the people that I deal with on a regular basis, uh, don't really know me all that well. It's not like people I went to grade school with or people I went to college with, people that have known me for years, like the people that I tend to interact with they they really don't know who I actually am. And so trying to intentionally obfuscate, like, I guess trying to, like, I once read a piece of advice in a business book. It said, dress against the stereotype. Like, whatever people expect you to do, don't dress that way. So, like, I think that advice really only works if maybe you're an engineer and you're supposed to dress like in a t-shirt and jeans, like very sloppily and casually, uh, maybe consider like dressing up, like maybe wear a decent shirt, like a collared shirt and a nice set of pants, you know, at least every now and then, like shake it up. Like I've heard it phrased slightly differently, like dress for the, uh, dress for the job you uh, want and not the one you have. I think the spirit of the advice that you should dress against the stereotype is just a matter of trying to make yourself stand out in other people's minds. If you just are who you're supposed to be, if you just are who others expect you to be, if you fit a particular mold, then you really know better than everyone else who fits the mold to try to rise above. So I think personality-wise, that's what I'm trying to do, but I, I think that can confuse things. It can confuse people because people do want consistency. And the thing is, I, I really shouldn't be trying to be something other than I am because there's a lot of good qualities to me. And I do kind of see those as being somewhat boring. Not to get down on myself, but I generally am a very gracious person. I'm very happy to have the chance to work with other people. I'm, I'm happy to just listen to other people talk to get to know them. I, I'm really grateful for all the people that I have in my life. And it's just, and it doesn't take much to make me happy. Like give me a little sliver of salmon, you know, bowl of vegetables, I eat that. Like that's, that's just fine. Like I'm a very simple person. I don't need a whole lot to, to you know, to make me happy. Um, but I think that's, I think that's boring. You know, you can't just have that be who you are. Like you're just, you're just happy 
to be with anyone, like anyone who you might be working with. You're like, oh, hey. I mean, that's that's actually what I've tried. I've tried being that person just to say like, oh, you know, I'm really glad to be working with you. Like, it, it doesn't feel like there's much of a personality in that. That's a nice thing to say, but I think if you, maybe with me it comes across as disingenuous or insincere. Like if you try and express that too over the top, it can sound like you're, it can sound like flattery, which just sounds like empty praise being thrown out for self-gain. Could be. I don't know. Anyway, I mean, I think, I imagine if you turn on this, if I were to listen to like the podcasts I've done in this thing so far, I'm sure some of them sound very gripey, if you will. That really is just trying to like give some character to things. It's trying to give a bite to the podcast. But of course, I do that at the risk of maybe sounding somewhat unpleasant or unhappy. Like I'm not an individual who likes other people. I actually do. I like other people a lot. I actually have a very positive view of human nature. There's plenty of evidence to the contrary, but there's plenty of evidence for that. Things things come off pretty well in this world. Um, maybe I should say in this country, but in the rest of the world too. I mean, people generally get along. Where the hell am I going with this? What was I going to say? Yeah. But I do wonder, I do wonder exactly how I come off to others. And I do wonder if I could soften my tone at times. There was a girl I was uh, sort of uh, trying to establish a relationship with over the phone a few months ago. Uh, That went on for close to two months, I would think. We spoke pretty regularly. We texted quite a bit, which is weird. I'm usually not that big of a texter. And we spoke on the phone. And yeah, there was there was something that I noticed. Uh, there there were lots of reasons that I ended up. I didn't move forward with that. I I I eventually told her, this is definitely a bad idea. Like we're not really compatible, and I'm not really feeling the chemistry. There were lots of reasons for that, but the one I'll I'll mention now and uh, is that I I, I noticed like a couple times early on when we were first having phone conversations that there was there was a sort of conflicted tone of voice that would rise up. Like it would come seemingly out of nowhere. And it would definitely direct itself at me. And the first couple of times it happened, I was kind of like, well, I guess I could see something that I did there that would have maybe triggered that. Like maybe I said something, like I said the wrong thing. But the, I mean, the last few times it happened, like I noticed it and I was like, okay, I, I don't know where that came from. 
Like if you trace back where we came from, from before that happened, like if you look at the like replay the videotape, like let's go back to the uh, to the playback. Um, I was like, I don't think there's anything I said that could have been. It shouldn't have been taken as. It shouldn't have elicited that reaction. Is what I would say. In my judgment. Like, for, for the best I can tell, it, it sort of came out of nowhere. Like, it just seemed like it was, there was something, I think, I don't think she was doing it consciously, but there was something cropping up saying, like, I'm going to try and get a rise out of you, you know? I'm going to try and stoke the fire a little bit and see how you react. Like, I don't know what it was, like, boundary testing or something. And I, I just kind of noticed that, and I... I I didn't call it out when it happened. I just sort of, I just sort of let it go. I, I made a note of it and just sort of tried to de-escalate the situation by re replying with neutral, calming phrases. And uh, yeah, but I, I was like, I, I don't, uh, I don't know where that came from. If if I did anything to trigger it, it may have been that I did something or said something. Um, like way prior to that, like maybe something happened and there was some like frustration on her part. She just clung to it. And then at some point it cropped up. But even that I think is, even that's something that I let worry me, um, that I would let worry me. Like I, I think I want to be with somebody who's able to process their, their frustration and share it with me, honestly. This has been a problem in some relationships I've had in the past. Is that I think that there's there's dishonesty in the name of maintaining harmony. It's very, very important to me that there is honesty with the potential for, okay, there's, there's a hard discussion that has to be had here. Avoiding the conflict is never healthy. That, that's not going to lead anywhere good. And uh, especially when it's, especially dishonesty. I think honesty is the, the one of the most important things I would need in a relationship. Without that, it can't work. But anyway, all this to say, it's something that I notice it's something that, yeah, I now notice in others sometimes. And so I do wonder if, if I ever do it, you know, like if there's ever, my mind goes all over the place, you know. Um, so I do wonder, like if I'm in conversation with somebody, generally I'm pretty happy, but sometimes I'll think about, oh, I once did this and I feel bad about it. Like think of all your mistakes, you know, you know, that feeling. You start ruminating on something you did like 20 years ago. Like, oh, God, why did I? I mean, that's going to come out in the tone of your voice. So I wonder. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Some other, there was, there was another girl that I, uh, 
spoke to her on the phone once from one of the dating apps. This was maybe two weeks ago. I, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't even know if there's anything to say about this one, but, um, no, what, what was it? We spoke on the phone and at the end of that, which was maybe an hour, she seemed quite keen to do a follow-up. And so I was kind of like, yeah, I think I'm game for this, but I, I always want to sleep on these things. Like I want to come away from the initial interaction and think about it. Like, yeah, am I feeling this or not? Um, so I was kind of like, all right, it sounds good. I'll let you get going. You know, um, I would like to uh, maybe try this again. We'll see. I'll follow up. And she was kind of like, oh, yeah, were we connected on Instagram? And I was like, I don't think so, no. Um, uh, but we had no sooner gotten off the phone than she had, like, like, I opened up Instagram to, like, find her. And she had already followed me. Like, just right after we got off the phone. Um I was like, well, that's interesting. You just had that in your back pocket the whole time. And I, I, honestly, it's not that she looked me up. I mean, I, I think I had, I think I had previously found her Instagram and looked at it because she's, um, she didn't make it hard for herself. She like has a, a, a musical act that she does. She produces music and she definitely had that front and center on her dating profile. So I looked that up and listened to some of it. It was good music. Uh, very well produced, and uh, she's a hell of a singer. Um, but I was like, really? You, you talk to somebody once on the phone, you seem very, very keen to like get to know me better, like a little bit too keen, and you, you connect with me on social media? Like, well, that's one way to maintain boundaries, that's, I guess. Anyway, so I followed her back, and uh, uh, let's see, I guess over text we arranged to speak again, like the next weekend. It was either Friday or Saturday we're going to do uh, like a follow-up date. She wanted me to plan something we could do online in the midst of this whole pandemic. She wasn't really comfortable meeting up yet, but um, so I... I Figured out some things. Um, uh, anyway, Friday rolled around. I was uh, hanging out with friends that night. And Saturday came about. Uh, and Saturday was just a tough day for me. Like, I don't have too many tough pandemic days, like the anxiety is getting to me, or like this, this whole situation just overwhelms me. That was one of those days. So I kind of just went for a walk around the city, you know, huffing through my mask, trying to like keep myself properly oxygenated, that whole thing. And uh, I kind of lost track of time. So I was heading home and I, I got a text from her. I looked at it, it was like eight o'clock. She's like, so uh guess you couldn't think of anything to do. And I was like, oh, you know, my bad. I lost track of time, been out walking. I did think of something. So here's a, here's a Zoom link. If you want to jump in, I set something up and, you know, 
Uh, and she was like, actually, I already made other plans. Uh, so that didn't happen. Anyway, so I, I followed up on like, I think Tuesday, said, hey, if you'd like to try again, I'm still, I'd still like to get to know you better. Didn't hear anything back. Then the next Saturday, I sent a follow-up, which was my final, like, hey, just in case this fell through the cracks, I'm still down to try this again if you are. And I heard back from her like the next day on Sunday. She said, no, not feeling it. And later when I went on Instagram, I saw that she had unfollowed me. So I don't know what to make of any of that. Uh, like somebody was asking me like, oh, did that feel, did you feel rejected? Like, no, there wasn't, I didn't know who the hell she was. I had, I have no idea who that person really, like after an hour phone conversation, you can't, there's not enough, like, there's not enough surface area for like the inner critic to attack you on. Like, who did I feel rejected by? I have no clue. Okay, I kind of talked through all of that because I thought there would be some point I could make about something. Dating in general. No, I don't think there's anything. I don't think I learned anything from that. That was just just one of those oddball. Anyway, actually, to be honest, I'm kind of relieved. I, I actually, the, the on Saturday when I sent my final text to her saying like, hey, I'd still like to give this a shot. Like that night, I was just sort of reflecting on things. And I thought to myself, I don't know why it is I'm trying to date right now. I'm not sure. Like, I've said this before, but prior to the pandemic, I got onto the dating apps back in January. Just because I was like, I, what am I doing in the Bay Area? Like, this was the day after the company I worked at had laid off a bunch of people. And I was feeling very disheartened, uncertain about my future, like, at the company, in the Bay Area, and so on. And so I was like, what am I doing here? Why am I... Like, I have to, like, do something that is pushing my life forward somehow. And I was like, maybe getting out there and trying to date a few people, maybe that's a good idea. Um, honestly, yeah. Like, I definitely go through cycles where I say I don't want to be dating because I feel fine the way I am but then I kind of feel stagnant. And really, whenever I put myself out there to date, uh, I always learn something about myself. Like I've, I've every single single date I've ever gone on, every person I've ever been involved with, however minimal, I always come away with some, some very, very important lesson or perspective on myself that I really I don't think I could have gotten otherwise. Um, I guess the same could be said of like, probably most of the interactions that I have with other people. I always learn something. But I think it's it's more pronounced um, when it's a potential romantic interest. But anyway, I, I was on the dating apps for like maybe a week or two. Went on one date, and that wasn't even with a girl that I 
met on the app. It was a girl I connected with on the app, but I, I had met her offline somewhere. And after that, I was like, this is, this is the wrong way of doing this. The dating apps are just, they're, they're, this, you shouldn't do this. It's a lesson. I, it's a lesson I've said before, but it bears repeating, but the dating apps are dumb because what you should be doing is you should be living your life. And I've heard this advice before. And I think it's very good advice that you shouldn't try to get better at dating. Like dating is not a skill I want to cultivate. It shouldn't be a habit that you're in, you know? I have a really good friend of mine who is, he's at a job that he does not like um, at all. Um, it's clear that they're not really valuing him as much as they should. He doesn't seem to really get on with his coworkers. Um, or with his superiors. Uh, I think he makes it work, but I think it's it's a tense situation for him. It's very stressful. And I do want to see him get out of that for his own sake, but what I haven't told him and what I would tell him if it if it came up without, you know, I guess if he asked, I wouldn't offer this unsolicited, but the problem with staying in an environment like that without without leaving is that if, if you're really building up a sort of bitterness uh, to the people around you, you're stressed all the time and you're just, that's your mindset. Like even if you go get your perfect job, uh, you know, six months from now, the fact that you've been working for years in that kind of environment, you're going to take that mentality to your next job. And it's more than likely going to ruin things. Like whatever your external circumstance, you just have to be what you want to be. Those are the habits you need to cultivate. That's what's going to carry you forward. And that's, that's advice I think I could probably stand to hear myself. I could probably just tell this. Yeah, I should be listening to myself. I don't. I have a lot of good advice. I think problem is I don't listen to it. I hear a lot of good advice. I don't listen to it. I listen to some of it, put some of it into practice, but not nearly enough. Anyway, I think it's the same with, with dating. I mean, the hope is, at least for me, I think is that you end up with someone and you're just, you're happy with that person. I think if you spend years and you're just always looking for the next thing. You're not happy with what you have, like there's always something else on to the next thing. Like if you, if you can't be content just with what you have, if you get in the habit of being a person who dates, what good does that do you? I wanna practice like being a good partner committed to somebody that I enjoy being with. I don't want to practice dating. Dating is a one-time thing. Maybe a multiple-time thing, but it's it's more of a moment in time than it is something you do continuously throughout your life, especially at my age. I'm 38. I'm hoping not to be dating for the next 10 years.
So you should not spend your time getting good at dating. This is why the dating apps are ludicrous. They're dumb. You should get out there and live the life that you want to live. And that's no guarantee that you'll find anyone. But the people you'll encounter as a matter of course, doing that, those are the people you want to consider being with. Those are the people that you'll automatically have a lot in common with. That's how to connect with others. I think. But I do have to say, the dating apps are very, very convenient because it's pretty much just a massive array of people who are known to be available. It's a little bit harder in the offline world, you know. Uh, it's a little bit more risky, you know, approaching someone and saying, hey, I like you. Oh, I feel so schoolboy crush to say it like that. You want to go on a date with me? You want to grab some coffee? Uh, you know, it's more likely that somebody says, no, actually, I'm, I'm already involved. Flattered, but spoken for. Anyway, what the hell else is going on? I'm trying to keep it light here. Honestly, okay. So the girl I mentioned before, the Instagram girl, I remember her saying that she wanted to read my blog. So I did send her a link after that one phone conversation. I wonder if she read some of that and was like, oh, hell no. That's, that's probably it, actually. Um, anybody who would read that and think that that's, that's who I am, uh, they would, I don't think that would appeal to a whole lot of women. I'm not sure that's who I am, though. Like, I, I pretty much go on my blog and dump crap on there because that's stuff I just need to get out of my brain, and I don't want to dump it on other people in conversation. That's precisely the point. It's kind of the point of this podcast, actually. Like, it's... I don't know if anybody's listening to this, you know, uh, you're the receptive ear. If you're finding this helpful, honestly, I'd kind of like to know why. Uh, yeah, that is the weird thing. Like, I, like I do have some analytics on this podcast, and I, I, I know whoever you are listening to this. If you are, you don't give two flying shits about podcast analytics, but especially not my podcast analytics. But looking at it, I do see that it looks like there have been people who've been finding it and pressing play. I don't know how they're finding it, and I don't know how long they're listening. Like there are some key metrics that I don't really, I don't really know. I can kind of infer there was there was one podcast I did. It said like. MBTI personality types about the Myers Briggs um, personality uh, thing. Like if you're the four letters, I'm an INFP. Um, I titled the podcast that, and like more people than any other have have listened to that one. That's the most frequently visited, and it 
I think it's misleading. I don't imagine people get very far into that because I don't, it's not like I talk about the Myers-Briggs type indicator. I talk a little bit about like, I talk about Carl Jung and how he devised it, where it came from. I don't talk about like what it means or how, how to interpret it. Like I, I don't, people who are looking for that kind of content, that's not what they expect. They're not expecting some lone guy rambling in the middle of the pandemic from his, you know, condo in San Francisco uh, about like psychology and how it was established like a hundred years ago from somebody who isn't even a psychologist. Yeah, that's fine. It's not the point of this. Yeah, what else is going on? Okay, so I, I, I got this job rejection yesterday and I did actually say to a friend of mine last week, uh, you know, if I don't get this particular one, I'm really going to rethink remaining in San Francisco and being like a Bay Area tech dude because the, the interview seemed to go very well from my perspective. And I was like, if this one doesn't work out, I'm going to rethink this whole strategy, this whole plan. And, you know, I'll look at it and say, maybe it is time that I move on. So I spent a lot of time thinking about that. And of course, the same problem that always comes up, I've talked about this before. And I, I don't want this to be the usual thing. This is me again, trying to like, speak against the stereotype. People who live in San Francisco, they spend an awful lot of time complaining about San Francisco. Oh, the rent is so high. Oh, the traffic is terrible. The buildings are not that inspiring. I get all that. Yeah. And there's a, there's a homeless problem. That's definitely on the rise. I, I, I wouldn't say tech is having an altogether good influence on the city at least not the parts of it that I see on a regular basis. Um, but San Francisco is, San Francisco is definitely unique. I was talking to a friend about like leaving here and moving somewhere else. And I was asking her about a couple other cities like, oh, have you ever been to this place? How is it? Cause I'm thinking about just like relocating there for some cheaper rent and working remotely. And she was like, well, you know, that's, um, that town's gonna be more conservative. And actually she said that a couple times, I was like, look, anywhere is gonna be more conservative than, than San Francisco. Like, it, does, does it get any more liberal than San Francisco? Like we have like, the BDSM community just has like bars you can go into and that stuff is just happening. Because places are like a few blocks from me um, in my neighborhood, like, yeah, I don't think you can find that anywhere else. Plus very rich history. Um, San Francisco itself has very, very interesting history. And a lot of the history is still out there just in the open, you know, despite the fact that it's definitely a sprawled area, like property values are so high um, that really everything has been developed if it hasn't been set aside to be a park, for example. 
but it's 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 pretty much just overtaken by people. Density is very. It's not as bad as you'd find in other metropolitan areas, but it's it's pretty it's pretty dense with people. It's built up. Um, but despite that, like it has a, a distinct feel to it. Like there's still historical parts of it that, that are still sitting around the city. Like it has a bunch of old, beautiful cathedrals. Houses, like the Victorian houses over uh, on the other side of the fire line. Uh, the 1906 fire line on uh, Van Ness. Once you get over there, there's stuff that predates uh, the 1906 fires. A lot of it. Yeah, very colorful history, a beautiful architecture, very picturesque. I, I don't. I think there's maybe oh, probably New Orleans has just as interesting history and 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 culture. You go there and you feel like you might even be like in another place. Like you could be in another country almost. I haven't been there, but that's that's what I've heard. Um. I don't think there's very many cities where I've been to where it feels like that. I mean, I, I suppose if I'm being honest, there's definitely parts of Detroit that I used to go visit when I was younger, uh, when I still lived there, that uh, those look like those could be in a foreign country as well, not a country you want to be visiting. Like it might be like, a, uh, like Georgia or Jordan, which I haven't been to those either. I just, I've heard those are somewhat impoverished and not, not that great. Um, Detroit is not that great, at least most parts of it. Um, but no, San Francisco's, there's reasons to stay in San Francisco. There are reasons to pay the outrageous rent and to remain here. And that's particularly true if you're if you're in tech. Um, it's not so much like do I do I want to get away from this terrible situation because that's not my that's not my sentiment at all. It's nice here. Yeah, I think I could probably stay here for another ten years and be happy. I probably won't though, because I would like to I think I would like a lifestyle that's not strictly urban. I'm not sure I'm too keen to remain living in cities. I'd like to try the opposite. I could live out somewhere rural, maybe actually own my own property somewhere. And honestly, like I said, I'm pretty simple. Um, I live in a one bedroom condo in San Francisco. And I've, I don't have a whole lot of space, but to be honest, I don't, I wouldn't need much more space than this. Maybe one more bedroom. So, I mean, the house that I end up getting, I mean, it could be very, very small. I'm not even sure if you could find a house that small. That's, that's the thing, like just something out close to a city it's close to like a an urban or at very least suburban area 
that you could you could drive to it, a bike to it. Um, but it's kind of like removed. It's surrounded by woods. I think that's where I'd like to go next. I think that's what I start shooting for. Don't know. I guess career doesn't help that too much either. Um, I, I'm very glad to be working in the career that I am. Like I, I, I'm glad that I write code for a living. I do enjoy that. Um, but I mean, in terms of like striking out and doing your own thing, like if I wanted to be entrepreneurial, that's that's some advice I heard a long time ago. Like a there was an architect in Santa Barbara. Um, his name was Michael. I don't remember his last name. Nicest guy you could ever want to meet. Very, very, like actually I worked in, in the company that I worked at for a few years before I left Santa Barbara. He actually did the interior of that when they renovated the building. Um, it was a great old, like it was, it was perfectly done for what it was but he told me that he gave advice to his kids like always be an entrepreneur whatever it is you're doing be an entrepreneur be a self-starter you know um i've kind of come to find that it's difficult to do that with software like as long as i'm a software person i'm gonna be you know uh, probably working for someone else. I'll just, I'll be a person with a job at a company. And it's not like I can, I, I mean, there are software consultants. People do, you know, strike out on their own and offer their services and their advice uh, for an hourly fee. That, that has never held much appeal to me. Like there's, there's the thought of that. Like the, the, okay, it'd be nice to be your own boss. You set your own hours. If you're competent or if you're really, really good, you can definitely make very, very good money doing that. But I, I just can't see myself doing it and being content. That might change, but right now I don't. I don't see that as being a path that I'd want to walk down. Then there's the idea of like building a product, like saying, "Okay, I'm going to build a piece of software and then attempt to sell it." And I don't know. In my experience, like building things, like a little little entrepreneurial competitions, like that's not something I can do alone. I would need a team of people to build anything and get it off the ground uh, and have it succeed. The idea of just being a lone entrepreneur who builds something. And there's, there's, there's remarkably few ideas that can be made to work now under those set of circumstances. That maybe was true 10 years ago. Like, I think the idea of the lone software guy, like putting out a product and succeeding, that could have worked a while back. 
I think the economics of things is that if there's a new medium, like if you're a filmmaker, for example, in 1930, if you can somehow get your hands on the technology, you can make a movie, probably get it distributed, and people would probably watch it because there weren't that many movies. What ends up happening is that power consolidates, you know, in the hands of larger organizations that have means. They kind of set the quality standard. Um, people kind of get used to that. And so consequently, it's really, really difficult to just be an independent filmmaker and put something out and have it be noticed. Like the distribution channels are very clogged. The expectations of people are very high. They're very difficult to meet if you're just an individual, like one person working alone. It can be done, but you, you, you better be damn good. And you better be making something that people want to see. I feel like as the software industry matures, it's getting to that point where like really the good ideas the easy ideas that are good have been taken and they're being done by large groups of people full of specialists who are all owning their particular area. An individual can't compete with that. And I've been in enough situations like a battle tested where the energy has gone to things and I've learned that lesson the hard way. Like, okay, this is not going to be a simple thing to do. It's the hubris of youth to look at uh, anything you might try to accomplish and think this is gonna be easier than it actually is. I can do this. You try it and you're like, oh, no. Then you kind of get discouraged, you kind of get disillusioned. Um, yeah still coming back from that. So I don't know how to be an entrepreneur. Like if I wanted to just like go live somewhere kind of off in the woods, you know, like I, I, I don't really have a means of providing for myself. I, I guess if I were a tradesman, what would make it easier if I was like a therapist or a plumber? I guess you're always just, you always, you're always starting something new and you have to like win customers. I guess that's always part of it. And that doesn't sound bad to me. I just, I just wouldn't want to be a software guy doing that. I'd want to be something else. Oh, well, okay. I think I've rambled about this for a while. Uh, long enough, anyway. Um, yeah. Not a whole lot else going on here. Um, let's see what... Yeah. So I watched, I watched a, a version of Les Miserables uh, that came out... Um, last year, I want to say, 2019. Uh, it's a six-part miniseries. So it's like six hours worth of time to tell that whole story, which is, is 
I think it's enough to capture the complexities of the narrative. I've seen a couple of other film renditions of it, um, but two hours is not long enough to lay out everything that happens in the novel. Inevitably becomes oversimplified. The point gets lost. And it, I think I saw the one that it was, it was Liam Neeson, Uma Thurman. And uh, what's his name? Inspector Javert was played by the Pirates of the Caribbean, Captain Barbosa. What was his name? Anyway, that guy. Um, really, really good actor. But anyway, two hours is not long enough. Like it, it's just, it doesn't really have the emotional resonance. Not enough space. Uh, but this six-hour miniseries on PBS, it was actually it seemed to like capture the intricacies of the plot, like the way that everything just kind of weaves together. Um, you have all these characters with seemingly different lives and they all end up coming together over time, like throughout the course of the story. It all makes sense in the end. And I do like that. Like one of the, the, my favorite books that I've ever read, and I haven't read much fiction, especially not fiction in the classical literature realm but was The Count of Monte Cristo. I read that in high school and that was, I think that gave me a new appreciation. By that, I mean an appreciation I did not have any sense of before, but a new appreciation for just how good literature can, why does it fill 800 pages? Because if it's done well, there's actually a lot going on and it all ends up making sense. Everything seems to have a purpose. It's well integrated, is what I've heard. I've heard that's like the rule number one of, of making a good, let's say movie, is that nothing should be irrelevant. You shouldn't have any line of dialogue. You shouldn't have anything happen plot-wise that doesn't add something to either the development of the characters or the development of the plot. That's how you edit. You go back and you say, if this adds nothing, cut it. Everything must be relevant. And honestly, I think that's a pretty good standard. If, I, if I've watched a movie and I get the sense that, okay, you know what, that's, I didn't really like that. That seemed like a really bad movie or maybe I liked it, but it still felt like a bad movie. Um, like that, that tends to be what it is. It tends to be that there's a whole bunch of stuff that wasn't necessary. Like I wouldn't have been able to identify that before I read that piece of advice, but afterwards I looked at it, I was like, yeah, that's, I think that's it. There's more to it than that. Like that's not the only thing, but I think that's definitely the common thread of all the movies I've ever seen. And I'm like, that was, that could have been better. Anyway, yes, hardly recommend that version of Les Miserables if you're interested. I was interested in one because I do have the novel. There's a family member of mine who gave me a copy of it in high school. He's a guy that I really respect and, um, 
yeah, I never got around to reading it. I do want to read it, but before I dive into a piece of fiction that's that long, um, I, I, I don't mind having a sense of the overall plot points. Like, it's, it's okay if the ending is spoiled for me. I just want to know roughly a, a map of where it is I'm going before I plunge in, you know, before I jump into the deep, deep woods. Um, yeah, that's a beautiful story. This is one that resonates with me quite a bit. Kind of makes me want to go back and like see some of other of um, Victor Hugo's work. The Hunchback of Notre Dame, I've only ever seen the Disney version, which the common objection I hear there is that, you know, Quasimodo does not die at the end because it's a Disney film that cleaned up. Um, yeah. Disney movies, I feel like, are divisive. They're like sushi. <laughs> People either love it or hate it. Um, I, you know, I kind of get that, though. Like, I kind of wonder, like, Disney movies are, in many ways, like, the tales that we all grew up on. They were our, they are our common mythology. When I was a kid, that was what you did. You watched Disney movies. It seemed like most of us were consuming those. They were familiar to us. And those stories don't, uh... I don't know if the lessons in there are that useful. Like the idea of you find somebody that you love, it works out and you live happily ever after. That's in a lot of Disney movies. The complexities of navigating a long-term relationship are not really in there anywhere as far as I can remember. it doesn't mean that they're bad. Um, like people sort of grumble and grouse and say like, well, well, Disney took this story and they completely ruined it. It might be better. Culture does change. And I think stories that we tell have to be appropriate to the culture that we live in. But I mean, culture itself, uh, is fed by the stories that we tell. So, I mean, this is how it changes. You change the stories, you change the culture. The way we tell stories changes in response to the changes in culture. It's kind of a feedback loop. And so it's, it's hard to say, kind of like give the people what they want. If what people want changes, that's another kind of feedback loop. And it's very, very possible that uh, you can end up going somewhere not good with that. Maybe maybe the movies we're watching now, the lessons we're getting from them, maybe they're not that great relative to the ones we were hearing like a few hundred years ago. Could be. I mean, there's a lot of talk about like the generation that's currently like Generation Z, I think it is. I think it's people who are 25 and and younger, down to 15 or so. I, I don't know the age range. Anyway, Generation Z, 
there's a lot of depression and anxiety. Like they're really afflicted with a lot of mental health issues. And people are not sure why. One of the explanations is social media, um, which might be a partial explanation. I don't know if it really, I don't know if that's it. I'm sure it doesn't help. But I mean, the notion that maybe, maybe the way entertainment has gone Yeah, and it's not that, that's the thing, it's always like people are, it, things are getting worse, you know, like people don't read anymore, so therefore the people are getting stupider, you know, like this is something you hear all the time. I don't think it's quite that, but I think that like the feedback loop I just mentioned, you know, stories inform culture and then culture informs the stories we tell. Like that could be going off the rails, perhaps. That could be a contributing factor. Maybe the stuff we're consuming is just not feeding our souls the way it's meant to. I could see that being another contributing factor. So I read, yeah, what did I read? It was a little, I think it was The Little Mermaid. Yeah, it was The Little Mermaid. And how did it go? That's, that was originally a Hans Christian Andersen story. And the movie itself was, I haven't seen the movie in, in years. I used to love that movie though, Under the Sea. Oh yeah. And I was like middle school age, I would just like rock out to that in my room. I had the cassette tape. Yeah. Oh, it was great. Um, but what is it? Ariel, Ariel saves the prince, Prince Eric, little mermaid. And then she ditches him because she, you know, doesn't want to be seen. I guess mermaids are, avoid being seen by humans for some reason. Uh, but she like falls in love with him, wants to like be with him. She wants to be human. So to win the love of this dude, uh, she goes to the sea witch, makes a deal, gives up her voice and has to make the Prince Eric fall in love with her and then she'll be a human and if she doesn't make him fall in love with her then uh, she loses her soul she has to give it to the sea witch now that's that's similar but I, I remember reading about the actual story the story was in the story as it was written in the Hans Christian Andersen tale, mermaids don't have a soul. Mermaids live for 300 years and then they sort of just dissolve into foam and stop existing. And so it's similar in that she, she saves the prince and she's kind of like taken with this guy. Um, but the thing is, she learns that human beings have an immortal soul. Like they live for only like 50 or 100 years, but when they die, their soul continues living forever. And that's what she actually wants. She's not looking for the love of a, of a prince. She wants immortality. And so she seeks to become human for that reason. And so she makes a deal with the witch in order to get an immortal soul to live forever. 
and it's the same deal. You have to make this particular human fall in love with you, and then you'll become human, and then you'll live forever. And in the story, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't happen. You know, she doesn't, uh, she doesn't manage to win him over by the deadline. See which gets her soul. And I, I forget how it ends. Like I think she dissolves into foam, but she gets some sort of. There's she has some some path to redeeming herself. She gets out of it. Like she doesn't just die outright. The witch doesn't quite get her soul. So I, I don't remember. Don't remember the ending. But I mean that's a whole different story. The mission of the protagonist wanting to like win over the love of some particular guy and everything riding on that versus uh this person wants to win the love of somebody because they happen to want to like gain immortality the whole notion of a soul that's a complete those are two completely different stories and if you're a kid watching those you would take two different messages from both of those i feel like And I could see the, the, the story, if you were to tell it like that, I could see people balking at that. Like, if, when did The Little Mermaid come out? Was it 1989, I want to say? But if, if by that point, if you were, like, talking about immortal souls, human beings living forever in a Disney movie, I don't know. This is actually a good question. I haven't thought about this. I'm not that in touch with Disney films, not the ones from my youth, anyway. But it's a good question. Like, to what extent did they embrace ideas from, like, religion? And in particular, from Christianity. I mean, the idea of an immortal soul isn't a strictly Christian idea that uh, that came from. There are sources that comes from that predate Christianity, like for one, Plato, the notion that there's some part of us that exists forever, separate from the material portion of our body. Yeah, Plato. Plato wrote about that um, long before Christianity came along. So it's not necessarily a, a it wouldn't be a religious objection. I don't know why. I don't know why that part of the story was changed. Maybe a love story is just more palatable for a mass uh, cinema audience. Anyway, I don't actually know. Like the thing is, people say, people do say that the movies are, are kind of like that, like romances in particular. They're just not that realistic because all they do is show you people getting together. They get married. And then the whole, like, how they spend the rest of their lives together, that's just sort of it's left to the audience's imagination. It comes after the events of the film. So all you see is, like, the best part, like the people falling in love, going through, like, maybe some conflict and ending up together somehow. Uh, yeah, that's not realistic. That's not the way life is. Life is 
life is really everything after you get married. It's, it's getting past the honeymoon phase and making it through, persisting with somebody. Yeah, that's, that's what life is. I don't think people want to see real life up on the screen. Not that part of life, anyway. I mean, like, people always want, like, the, the inspirational, like, oh, this is, like, they want to be reminded of, like, what it is that drew them to their partner in the first place. If you're in that situation, you're, like, trying to work through a marriage. You've been married for 15 years. It's lost its luster. Like, you want to watch a story that recharges and rejuvenates the sense you originally had going into it. That's what the love story does. I would think. I'm not a literary critic here, or a movie critic. I have no idea how stories work, but I would think that's the appeal. There's a, there's a comic called The Oatmeal, which I'm sure most of you are familiar with, or many of you are. There was a... Uh, sort of like here's here's Christmas at the different phases in your life when you're married versus not married and the last one was like here's Christmas when you're uh you know married after 40 without any kids and it was just these two like ugly looking old people who were just yelling at each other like grumpy you know really look terrible you know um You know, I had a point there and I completely lost it. I'm starting to wonder if I'm not just zoning off. Oh, it is. I've been talking for a while now. Damn, I can really, I can really go on and on, can't I? Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um, the virus. We can talk about the virus. That is that is resurging. Actually, I read a, a, a article in the Washington Post yesterday that said like the Bay Area, in particular San Francisco, was uh, kind of the model city. We really we really did a good job. Like we shut down the city. We said like, look, non-essential businesses are all closing. Everybody stay home. If you have to go out wear a mask, and don't go out unless you have to. Pretty much everybody buckled down and took that very seriously, and the order came relatively early, relative to the rest of the country. And it's it's been very, very good here. From what I read yesterday, the numbers are again spiking. Uh, so... It's, it's been looking very, very good. I think people have gotten kind of complacent. People have kind of been like, yay, we won. And really, I mean, I think we're just, I think we're just starting this whole fight, which is disappointing. I remember like talking in March and April and thinking, okay, this isn't going to go on for that long, is it? A couple months, we'll lick this thing. We have to, right? Everybody's staying inside. 
but it's, yeah, it seems like people are still insistent on living. And some people, for whatever reason, are still insistent on going out without uh, masks on. Not socially distancing. And so on. Ah, that's such a bummer. I would, have, I would have hoped that the anti-science sentiment wouldn't bite us in the ass like this. I wonder what that says. Like, there, there's a lot of... Science is a very valuable tool, although it's imperfect. But as it has risen and started to govern more and more of our lives, and has it... I mean, right now, look at all the technology we enjoy. The, the, the little computer you have in your pocket that lets you uh, browse pictures in social media, that's there only because of the physicists. What physicists did about 100 years ago, like the work that they managed to figure out, that chemistry, that ends up coming back to technology. So, I mean, we live in a very, very scientific age. Everything is science. Everything is given to us by science. Um, and of course, it's a, it's a very good point. It may even be a truism at this point to say that like, we're definitely dealing with power that we have not learned how to responsibly wield. People have the power to leverage technology in almost every aspect of their lives. They have the power to leverage the benefits of science in every aspect of their lives, but they don't understand it. They don't appreciate its power. Might be a problem. Might be a problem that we learned how to split the atom and destroy things en masse without developing ethics to go along with it. And so I do wonder if, I think that sentiment is true when you hear it from scientists. And so I wonder if the anti-science energy that you see in the world now is attributable to that. I wonder if it's a matter of people are looking at science and saying, yeah, it's given us a lot. It's given us a lot of power, but it's having a lot of negative effects. And people are just sort of subconsciously rejecting it. Like we've become too science heavy, too tech heavy, too materialistic. And so there's, there's a backlash in sort of the national psyche in an effort to kind of restore balance. Notion of the tension of the opposites. Like the scale starts to tip too far one way, people try and tip it back. So I wonder if science just hasn't grown too big for its britches and there are people recognizing that and even though they're not operating rationally they're operating in response to something that they see as being a potential threat there are plenty of reasons to get down on science i i think it's one case where you do need to fight fire with fire if we're going to have any chance of like battling climate change, for example, then I think we need to understand why it's happening and we need to figure out how to change our processes so as to fix the problem. 
this is where this is where the anti-science sentimentality is kind of a problem. I can see the spirit of it having a kernel of truth to it. But the only way to deal with the errors in science is to use more science. At least something like climate change. There are probably problems in science that would be solved by a better system of ethics. But uh, human beings don't don't live by, you know, philosophically derived ethical systems. Ethics, I think, emerge in human societies and people live according to them. And the systems that persist are the ones that capture the essence of what has emerged. It codifies it in the best way. That's what I think. Why does Christianity stick around for 2,000 years? Because at the time that it emerged, it captured some fundamental truth. Like it, it, is, it both codified rules that existed, that worked, and it established new rules that continue to work better. Like it sort of refined itself as an effective way of, of capturing what existed and improving upon it bit by bit, both of those in harmony at the same time in conjunction. That's the thing. I think religion is bottom up. There's a lot of cynicism about religion. It's like, it's just people trying to make money. I actually had a friend of mine say to me once, uh, you know, about Jesus, that he just wanted to, he was just greedy. And I was like, I don't think you know a single thing about Jesus, man. Not a Christian here, not trying to defend it, but uh, that's not what we get from the historical stories about Jesus that we have or from the gospels. Like probably not, not somebody who's just money grubbing. All right, that that's just a projection of 20th century, 21st century, like economic thinking onto like first century Palestine. No. That's not the way it was. Jesus was not Joel Osteen, right? Just sort of trying to make money from the masses, hoarding wealth. Uh, No, Jesus stuck around because he, yeah. It's not that somebody says, I want to make money, so I'm going to start a religion. Uh, Scientology notwithstanding. Uh, it, It typically is, there's something that, comes from the ground up and it it gathers it gathers a force um, that way because there's resonance with people in some way anyway yeah I, I do talk about religion a lot. If there's anything that, uh, if somebody looks at my blog and starts reading it, like, I'm sure it's not immediately clear what the hell it is I'm saying. I wonder about that. I really don't, I don't really make it, I don't really care how it's perceived anymore. I just sort of go on there and write whatever the hell I want. I'm sure if you're being superficial and capricious, if you just like jumped on there 
and read a couple paragraphs, you could very easily think that I'm, you could think that I'm an atheist or you could think that I'm Christian, either one. Something to be said for simplicity. Although I intentionally avoid simplicity on the blog because I want to be able to talk about things that are maybe somewhat controversial. And if you cloak controversial things in very difficult to read prose, then you can be, it's a way of filtering your audience. Because the point you wanna make is very subtle and nuanced, then don't make it obvious. Make it so people gotta work for it. Speak in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not hear, so to speak. But yeah, I mean, as a, as a tool for filtering out audience or maybe people who are seeing if they want to date me, it's a very, very handy filter. Yeah. If you're the kind of person that makes snap judgments, I don't want to date you. And we all make snap judgments. I think it's a matter of, do you, are those the final judgments? You know, any snap judgment I make, I've learned to just say, you know what, that, that merits further investigation. It merits follow-up. Yeah. Well, that's how good of a person I am. I have to try to be in the deep end. Yeah. Not, not trying to talk myself up here. Honestly, like I said, I don't have a script here. I don't, uh, just shooting off the cuff. Some of what I say is going to sound arrogant. Some of it's going to sound insecure. insecure. Some of it's going to sound, uh, snarky. I wonder about this, man. This, this is what I, I touched upon this earlier, but like how I come across to others. I wonder about this because okay, I'm, I, I, I generally I'm a pretty serious person. I can do silly. I can do silly and just laugh about dumb shit. But I, I tend to be like a more serious person. I tend to want to speak with gravitas more. Uh, which it, maybe, that, I, I, maybe that just means I'm pretentious. But uh, basically, I when I'm being serious with people, sometimes I'll realize it. Like, oh, you know, I'm not being lighthearted enough here. I've just been talking about serious stuff for the last two minutes, and the person's kind of like, they're following, but they're kind of like looking around like, oh, okay, I've, I've had enough of this. You can sense that. So then it, I'll try and lighten the mood by like throwing out, like, like I'll start trying to talk about more lighthearted stuff. And I'll try cursing. Like I'll throw in some curse words. Like I'll throw in some F-bombs maybe. You know. Just kind of carpet bomb them in there. And uh, and sometimes when I do that, more often than not, when I do that, the person doesn't see me as being more lighthearted. Like I'm not just bringing, I'm not just trying to bring levity to the situation. But they start like, whoa, you just got angry. I'm like no, 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 no. Like I'm not cursing because I'm angry. I'm cursing because I'm trying to say like, look, I'm not taking myself that seriously. Like I'm not as, you know, stilted as you might think. 
I can be cash, man. Uh, but it, it doesn't, it never works as I intend. It just seems to come across as, uh, yeah, not the way I want it to. In the silence of the morning. And the sun is starting to come up. I've got to say, I love this, watching the sunrise. It's just starting to peak. Uh, the sky is uh, just starting to lighten. Yeah, God, I love this place. Anyway, that is life for me right now. Not a whole lot else going on. What else have I watched? I, okay, so I, I rewatched the first season of True Detective the last few days. I forgot how good that was. Very, very good uh, set of characters. Like, it's two policemen. Um, it's a very well-written story, very well-acted. Yeah. Good themes. So good, I kind of want to watch the second season, but I keep hearing that it's not, uh, not quite as good. Anyway, probably time to start getting on with the day. I guess it's time to like continue the job hunt. Um, yeah, then back to back to interview prep. Honestly, part of me kind of wonders if that wasn't the reason I was hoping for this job, like the, the rejection that I got. I think I was hoping that that would come through because it would have been a solid company. And I was really, really excited about the product itself. But there also would have been the idea that, okay, the energy I'm focusing on, I can focus it on learning practical things for the job. I can focus my energy on like developing relationships in a new place, getting to know people, learning the tools that I'll be using like Apache Kafka, whatever new languages I need to know. Uh, I could start doing that instead of focusing my energy on like learning how to solve problems in interviews. Learning how to answer questions in interviews. Like that's, uh, that's like dating. Any energy you put into it, you're kind of like, there's not going to really be a long-term payoff here. And by the time I have to do this again in the future, I'm not going to remember any of it. Like this is going to be like a matter of years. Yeah, cost of doing business though. It's just what you got to invest. It just feels like, yeah, like you you have to know how to date. You have to know how to be a, a reasonably good dater. You got to put some effort in. 
it just it, it's always nice when you can shift that from okay i'm trying to win somebody over to things are kind of stable here i can just kind of focus on making this other person happy i like doing the latter i don't like doing the former but you don't get the latter without the former and so on to interview prep anyway out there in podcast listening land whoever you are wherever you are in the midst of this whole pandemic i hope you are doing well take care of yourself stay healthy wear a mask if you want but really seriously wear a mask but yeah until next time be well this is jim signing off cheers